0: Welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we're not going to focus on all those new shiny, shiny things for you to buy, like 400-pound juicers. (laughs) Instead, we focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and a happier relationship with electronics. And our monthly community electronics repair events here in London that we call Restart Parties are just the beginning. My name is Janet Gunter and I'm joined by Lou and Ed from Frisch. Um, it, Frisch is a studio that specializes in designing ecostructures for urban communities. And we're neighbors with Frisch. We're in a great workspace in Bermondsey, um, not far from, from here where we are in residence. And um, Frisch is responsible for making the workspace a really great place to be. Um, in the entryway, there have been uh, plants growing even in the dead of winter <laughs> yeah um so welcome lou and ed thanks for being here thank thanks you for, in for inviting us years. yeah and um you know er, from the early days i think when we started fixing electronics and thinking about the way people use and discard electronics um in kind of like a in a sense like a, a mindless way i think we were inspired a lot by um, growing communities and people that grow food and that think about where food comes from and that care about food Um, Like we, in a sense, we we, we almost thought of ourselves as like, let's bring some of the ethic of permaculture and growing to our use of electronics. So it's really great to have Mm -hmm. you here. Um, What does designing ecostructures mean? And so, yeah, what is it that you guys do in your practice? Well, um,
1: first, I think our main interests, um, what brought us together, it's um, being interested in the idea of ecosystem and what it represents, both in terms of model for society, um, but also for the natural world, Um, and what kind of um, height translate in in different type of social model uh, for group organization, mode of communication, or trading, or other type of human interaction. Um, I think our main goal is try to move away from this idea that we have of nature, which is a nature that is outside of us as human, since we sort of became like a cultivated kind of animal. Um, And we are interested in in looking at nature more in the way that there is not one big nature that is wild and like we don't really grasp. But it's everything, especially now, is a nature that has been manufactured. And even maybe nature itself is manufacturing itself. So I think... To reintroduce a relationship, a human relationship to nature, we have to go towards this kind of way of thinking. So Mm -hmm. we think we look at cities, for instance, not as a sort of alien kind of space, but really as a new ecosystem for us that we manufactured, but also within which like maybe nature, which is... The wilderness as it as we say is also taking over and adapting to it and.
0: Yeah, no. That we we feel the same way about electronics. People often treat, um, you know, gadgets and electronics and manufactured products as though, a bit, a bit like they they treat the built environment. It's like this thing that's not natural, and it's this thing we interact with and live with, and it's a utilitarian relationship. But we never see it as, actually, that these are minerals and raw materials that yeah. came from the earth in our hands. Um, so that's fascinating.
2: I think there's definitely that thing if you look at, let's say we look at termites and they build a termite mound, we'd call that a natural occurrence, but if a human builds a home, it's suddenly man-made, it's kind of separated, but we are all part of this word that's defined as nature, so Mm -hmm. you're right, in the built environment, the built environment is the human's nature, it's what we've built, and I think that's when you said what are ecostructures, we look at this concept that an ecostructure is kind of the softer, greener, natural and inverted common stuff, why the infrastructure is what humans build but we don't try to separate the two as we just want to put nature in because mm-hmm. nature is already in the city because we are nature
0: yeah some people often forget i yeah. think i mean we we really do i mean sometimes even when i'm on the tube i i have this vision i mean i'm sure everyone out there has had this feeling of like being almost like an ant or or being you know this kind of it 's almost really animal the way that we inhabit the city there 's something yes. truly strange, and you know sometimes you catch yourself having those moments of clarity um, so how do you how do you help people to to come to that in your practice so what we try to avoid it 's to just be a design
1: studio we designing just a product that 's going to be put there, and people are just going to think it 's pretty or, you know we need it to be functional in the sense that it needs to respond to what people needs on a day-to-day and how it can help them and understand their environment before be able to design something that is going to live with them and we do this also through um, creating like workshops to interact with people um, but also we link it very much to maybe um, issues that people might have on a day-to-day basis um, in terms of human interaction or other kind of societal things. So um, what we do is also looking at it in how it's culturally grounded. So Mm -hmm. that's what we do. So we have Frisch as a studio, more for the design things. But we have Diaspora, which is our project space. And that's where we invite artists, scientists, Researcher of all kind of fields to come and discuss these kind of the issues. So our current program is about plant communication and how they relate to social interaction. So we have uh, six modules going from the looking at mycelium, which is the communication of plants through their routing system, to genetic transfer. And our current one is called acoustic mirrors and looks at um, elect- communication
0: through electric field. Um, and we actually hosted a Skillshare exactly. where we where we learned about components and circuits and the way yeah. they work as yeah. a part of your. So yeah. it's it's looking at like the broader spectrum of what kind of.
2: Uh, we say co-design. So co-design is yeah. kind of this thing that's been forgotten about in the design world, which is where you work with the client to achieve an end. And mm-hmm. I think what a lot of architecture studios and these kind of top-down time planners have kind of failed with is they design a town and then try to find a community to fill the town afterwards or they put a park somewhere and then no one from that community ever used that space and they wanted the park somewhere else. So what, as Lou was mentioning the different things with the workshops and trying to find local stories or understanding what the community is doing is we wanna work with the community to be mm-hmm. like, where do you want this space? What do you want from that space? And try to take those kind of insights into our design process so the output already has a community that's there they want to take over the space they want to take care of it they want to use
0: it yeah okay can you give us some examples of what that looks like concretely so well, some projects
1: like for instance like i was thinking um currently in the show we have uh louis anderson film all day is solid which is looking at uh west africa in ghana like the landfill where they throw away uh, computer component and it's also um uh, where they also, I think, um, mine precious metal to make. Yeah, I mean, they're they're actually si- reprocessing exactly. and reusing. So it's yeah. a whole. It's look. It's looking at the whole cycle of from mining to making the computers to then go back into the uh, landfill and how they are now harvesting those precious metal again, but also like harvesting the data that might be left in memory cards and so on. So we have like PCs on show that are looking at these things along. You, like a workshop that you can host looking at people like have showing how they can um look at components and so on. And we had like a, uh we had a workshop um led by Alex Russell and Carrie Mahan uh who used to uh do superlative TV and they did this uh filmmaking workshop mm-hmm. uh, called Consequences about nuclear like their current project about nuclear um waste it's not waste but it's like the nuclear like extraction of uh, uranium in australia and so on so it's and but it's so it's like trying to like map these kind of different issues and ideas and how they all connect and then we also do workshops where we do co-design workshop uh, we did one at the royal college of arts uh, with a local community garden in peckham where they designed a uh, bike trolley So we we talk to the volunteers at the garden and from their feedback, we design a structure for them using upcycle materials and so Um, on.
2: An example that everyone can go and search on Google is Apple has just said they want to make their new products completely out of recycled materials. So that would be an example of where you could say there's like an informed process. So Lou's mentioning this kind of fact we're sending all our... All our e-waste off to Africa somewhere, and then they're trying to rip it apart and extract the metals.
0: Yeah, but to be fair, we're not sending that as much as well, yeah, the media well, when, portrays. But um, we're actually sending it to our own landfills, of course. Yeah. But
2: but well, I think yeah. that just the general idea mm-hmm. of a co-design would be that yeah. it's a product where you've. They are trying to not say that Apple's perfect, but they have tried to with this robot they brought out to say oh. Yeah, we, I feel like to...
0: that's a whole nother radio show. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, yeah. Don't worry. I mean it's it and they themselves admitted that's almost like a moonshot pro- project. Exactly. That but, it's almost like a th- it's almost like a thought experiment at this point. But that's um, so
2: that's what we're trying to actually mm-hmm. make a reality. I said obviously theirs is like it's nice and it's glossy so you guys are going
0: to make us an iphone are you <laughs> hopefully
2: we'll grow you an iphone okay
0: okay well i really like the metaphor of you know of gardening and growing and food as i said um for for other areas of life and i think i think too often it's been yeah it's considered this kind of i don't know y- you know the, the the gardener even especially in the uk is it's kind of upheld as this i don't know the ultimate hobbyist the kind of the the person who who's very civic minded um but it's kind of like it's the special thing to go a garden or to be a gardener and and with permaculture also it's kind of a very niche potentially kind of hippie um <laughs> hippie way of interpreting nature and growing um but i think i think it's the the some of the things we're learning about plants and nature um are, are actually really pushing us to think you know that along the along the lines that you're promoting. So I, I listened to this really great podcast about uh, the the um the ways in which trees communicate through mm-hmm. fungus and I really it blew my mind. So can you I mean how can a forest almost be a metaphor for like the internet and the ways we communicate um um talk, walk us through that because it's to amazing.
2: Be, so the yeah, so the the basics. Let's start with the concept so trees within a forest kind of the top canopy layer they block out all light for anything that's kind of below so if we think about that kind of process plants on the forest floor still grow and this for scientists for a long time, they're trying to understand how can these plants grow where there isn't any light I can't get any food so they started looking into the soil and they found that outside of the root structure of the trees there was this interconnecting network of mycelium and for those who listening and who don't know mycelium is the kind of the root structure of fungus so a lot of mushrooms, when they grow underground, they have this massive root structure where they decompose, break down, get nutrients. And what we eat is the small fruiting body that would be maybe 1% of the size of the actual kind of mushroom that's growing underground. So what they were finding is that the trees were actually passing nutrients through the mushroom networks to kind of their smaller sapling plants. They were almost, you know, like feeding like animals, like birds feed their young. So they were feeding nutrients in to help these other trees grow.
0: And and the, the action the mushrooms and their and their root structures are are the are almost like the cables or the you know the yeah, totally the, the inter- infrastructure they're totally yeah.
2: interconnected yes yeah. so the trees root structures they can only go down to a certain size so at that point they actually switch over so it's like going to a junction box and you interchange and you go and suddenly the mushroom takes over and it goes even smaller and branches out to all of the little subsidiaries.
0: So this is I mean. It, w- when I first heard about this, I have to say, it was like a, you know, my brain is melting moment because <laughs> cause it really is a great um, metaphor for th- the networks and the way we communicate.
1: Yeah, but mm. what I think is interesting as well is to remember that, like, the just even the terminology of, like, e- the ecosystem, the idea was created in the 30s by a British botanist uh, called Arthur Tensley. And he, I think it was an attempt to try to understand, quantify nature, but by... by Defining by a series of systems, and those and how the system function, and like just to try to understand it, and then this idea was then kind of used by in cybernetic in the seventies, and looking at system and like feedback loop and things like that. But I feel like I saw an Adam Curtis film about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's, yeah, yeah. I I saw it, <laughs> um, but and but they they ignored the sort of chaotic nature of nature per se like where they don't just sort of reboot the, their system to then go back to what it was They're always adapting and moving forward and that's what permaculture kind of is about because although it is a manufactured ecosystem because it's based on observation of nature or like on a natural sort of different systems, different symbiosis. Like closed and loops. And, and, and how, yeah. and how they function, how they adapt and always are constantly changing. And I think that's...
2: I think the thing that humans quite find quite hard is this concept of balance. So people kind of like the same mm-hmm. thing every day. If you kind of think of like McDonald's and the Big Mac. They like, people like the fact they can go into a restaurant anywhere around the world and you get the same hamburger. They kind of don't want to have to go and search for their favorite hamburger in a local restaurant. But how, when you say permaculture, it works in this concept of dynamic equilibrium, which means on the whole hamburgers will exist in the world. But at some points there will be ones you can't find and then sometimes they'll come back. And that's what, (laughs) no, that's that's what this, that's how this balance works, which is very hard to understand within your garden, let's say. So let's Mm. say at one point you have loads and loads of slugs. This will be great. You get loads of slugs, but then the birds will come and eat the slugs, which then means your plants will come. Yeah,
0: I think a lot of people maybe. <laughs> you're going to have totally to do some lost. convincing on the slugs, especially but, this time of year.
2: But it, it, it will come into balance. If you don't have the mm. birds, you'll then get you're saying everything kind of, the balances are really carefully, they sit mm. against each other.
0: Well, for people that want a new phone every September, I don't know how they're going to handle this. Is going to definitely blow their mind. <laughs> it's like the Big Mac, isn't it? It's like I must have it now. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: Maybe you're inspired to start living a greener life, but you don't know where to start. Signing up to the Restart Code is an easy and rewarding way to begin reducing your carbon footprint. And using your electronics for longer isn't just better for the planet, it's better for you too. Visit therestartproject.org slash code where we've put together a short video on how you can reduce your contribution to the growing problem of e-waste. It's time to take back control of the stuff we own.
0: Listening to Restart Radio on one hundred four point four Resonance, um, and we're talking. Uh, we're a little bit out of our usual uh, our comfort zone, talking about uh, technology. Although we don't view technology as something that's uh, out of the natural world. Um, at Restart, we're talking with uh, Lou and Ed from Frisch, which is a design studio and very much focused on the eco structures around us. And uh, we've been talking about well about all kinds of things, but also um, about how plants can serve as a metaphor for a lot of things around us. Um, but I wanted to actually, and we just started talking about gardens, and uh, and, and things people are actually quite familiar with um, in their day-to-day, slugs and other things. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the indoor growing that you guys promote. So in our office space, um, there have been all kinds of food growing ever since we moved in in November, and I have to say I was not expecting um, there to be bok choy growing in, in in our office space in November we moved in. Um, so tell us a little bit about the kind of uh, bringing food into other environments that people aren't quite used to seeing. Um, maybe Ed? Yes, yeah. um,
2: yeah, so I think I think the the reason why we like to bring food into kind of an office space is a lot of people spend time. In the office, they have more chance of spending time in the office than they would, let's say, at home in their garden. So we think, firstly, it's like we want this kind of urban or, like, office-based growing space. The second thing is to connect people, give the opportunity to connect them with where the food's coming from. A lot of people wouldn't know, let's say... A apple is 15 months old by the time it comes to you in the supermarket. So we want to connect people with the growing process, understand how long it takes to grow.
0: I've seen the apple trees that you brought in. We yeah, brought they... some
2: apple trees in. Yeah. They're going to hopefully go. going. We've got tomatoes that are growing. So we're going to get, we've just got those in the moment. And it's okay. going to take around three to four months to get tomatoes there. So to so get people an understanding of how long stuff takes to grow, how much energy goes in yeah. and kind of how much you should kind of respect the food and kind of, Let's, you said that farming is well, gardening. You said is seems this like genteel thing, but actually, it's really important. Everyone needs food.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I, I don't see it that way, but I I get the impression people do. Um, and I noticed that there. So with indoor growing, um, I think this is the point the point where we most literally overlap in our interests. Is um, there's a lot of. Uh, well there's a lot of kit that comes in so i've noticed you've had uh mostly it's it's probably mostly light related and water related so what do you need to bring into an indoor space to to be growing just for the average person who has never thought of it the average person Mm -hmm. you
2: you need you need light usually a lot of people use strip lights so it's called a t5 which is like a long strip light Mm -hmm. and then the you you can grow in different mediums so hydroponics is where you grow in a Medium, it can be water, it can be a kind of soil or a gravel. The key thing is that it doesn't, you add nutrient to that medium. So okay. the medium just adds, as, acts as a place for the roots to sit and gives the kind of the roots a space to give structure.
0: I think I've seen like little clay balls We have, Yeah, clay as well. expanded pebbles okay. is one kind
2: of medium. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think of the hydroponics as it has to be grown in water. Mm. And that's not true. It can be grown in any kind of medium you have. You can grow it in sponges or as you said, gravel. And what we then add to that is we add a plant-based fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So we get the fertilizer we have comes from a sugar cane. It's extracted. Oh, okay. And what you have to do that is when you grow in soil, so soil has a lot of different base, like different nutrients that are sitting in there. We have about 20 different trace elements and you have to kind of balance these elements correctly in the hydroponic uh, medium to let the plant grow,
0: well, wow, this is a quite a science to the the food that goes into the food, <laughs> yeah um, and, uh, and water pump, so water has to keep dripping or moving so depending
2: kinda? on if you um, depending on the plants, so some plants are harder to grow than others, so let's say if we take a lettuce, you can grow a lettuce in four liters of water it's called a, a press called press a invented this. You can just leave it in a bucket, four liters of water, and it will grow. however, other plants are a lot more like the very specific environments, and that's where the water movement comes in. So it's to keep oxygenation, keep the nutrients moving around them so the roots don't suffocate. That's where you've seen that when we're growing things like the chard, when we're growing tomatoes and beans.
0: Yeah, so the broad beans, they seem to have a pump on. They have a pump the whole time. mm
2: -hmm. And they also have, like in an aquarium, you have an air stone. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of driving oxygenated air into that water to keep roots need oxygen. If you think about in the soil... If you, f- if you take a, a normal plant and you flood its plant pot, the plant's going to get pretty unhappy and it's going to die because it doesn't get the oxygen that it needs. And that's why I'm going to drive the oxygen into that water.
0: Okay, so there is um, some kind of investment that you might need to make in lights and potentially pumps and other things. Um, and and how, what is the, like, the energy, the, the, what are the energy-running costs of growing different things indoors and how is that kind of dealt with from, a, from an eco perspective?
2: I think it's um, really a matter of scale so i think from our interest we're very interested on the research side of what is possible what different systems would people be involved in and kind of showing people that there is a way to grow food in an, like unexpected locations mm-hmm. um, there's an example of a, a tomato farm in kent it's about 80 football fields large it's completely off grid and it has its own biofermenter.
0: is that the Janet, uh it's, yes, uh, it's a massive yeah,
2: yeah. place near there. Because
0: I, I, I'm i always curious when I'm buying tomatoes in the in the dead of winter. Um, and they come from Kent. They're grown exactly. in Kent, okay.
2: So they're grown in Kent mm-hmm. in this massive green complex. They take a lot of their bio-waste from the plants. They have to pull off a lot of the leaves and stuff. So they produce all their energy on site, as I said. So that's where the lighting comes in. They supplement during the winter time, so during the summer, of course, if you're in a greenhouse, you've got the sure. sun. But during the winter, they said we're getting fresh tomatoes, We they use LED lighting, so it's got a very long lifespan for the light compared to kind of a strip light you can imagine at home when you have your bulbs, you change them every year. Yeah, few years so LED
0: so. has been somewhat game changing in this as well. Then, yeah, yeah. so it's mm-hmm. you
2: can get about kind of 10 times more lifetime off your LED lamp, which is it Mm -hmm. really changes kind of the setup cost is a lot higher so for like a starting grower if you look if you kind of google on amazon something like that led lights they're very expensive but it's because you're getting kind of that really long lifetime off your light compared to a kind of standard plug-in strip lamp.
0: Okay, and I remember we did a we did a restart party at a pub that had this massive living wall, and it was actually really it was funny because we really wanted to repair underneath the living wall. We thought that would be like a nice um, visual, well, also just to be near the plants, right? Cause it's, but it turned out that all of the um, all the electrical sockets were completely used on that side of the of the, of the pub to, to to power the living wall, as it were. Um, so. Uh, it was. I just it just drew my attention to that if you want to grow it, yeah, at scale, yeah. you really need to think about what that's going to require. Um, but also, I was wondering about maintenance. So, um, and you know, the, obviously, that's one of our um, interests. <laughs> so, uh, how long does the equipment that you use to grow tend to last for? And you know, does it require uh, a great deal of maintenance?
2: I think it usually depends on the complexity of the system. And then a lot of people who design a system would often try to look at the growth time. So a lettuce would say, let's say it's 40 days from kind of planting the seedling into harvest. At that point, you'd usually then clean the system versus if you have, like you've seen the beans and the tomatoes or a crop that kind of sits there for six months. That kind of system, you don't want to have to take the whole thing apart. So I think it kind of comes into the design process when you're thinking about it, how much maintenance do you have to put in is it running mm-hmm. maintenance or is it kind of you can dismantle the whole thing clean it and wow put it back yeah i hadn't thought
0: about so like yeah i mean we don't for example when we disassemble a laptop it's not actually operating <laughs> like we, we can turn yeah. off the laptop whereas if you're growing you really need to think about how am i going to take this apart and and uh yeah
2: things will it. leak yeah that, that can be a big issue which we're having to deal with so obviously okay. your stuff gets very complex leaks do become quite a concern
1: yeah, yeah. you did forget one element is that you need to pollinate yourself the plants yeah, Otherwise, way they want true. fruit because there is no bees yeah, yeah yeah
2: so that if we have a fruiting crop yeah so for example on the tomatoes you use a electric toothbrush and you hold it behind the flower and it creates the same feeling of what a bee does which vibrates <laughs> the pollen and it's that's how you pollinate the tomatoes. Wow,
0: I'd never thought of that. It just shows how much I take bees for granted more than anything, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you're growing a salad crop, of course, then if you're just eating leaves, you don't need bees, but any kind of fruiting crop.
0: Oh, may... that, does that include strawberries? Because I know strawberries are a big indoor crop. There
2: are a few that can be self-pollinating. So mm-hmm. there are a few plants that are self-pollinating automatically, but it's a very kind of small group, but the majority of, so anything like even like peas, beans, all this kind of stuff, wow. you need Okay, lenses. well from
0: a restart perspective if you're going to go out and buy an electric toothbrush for this purpose, be <laughs> sure it's one where you can replace the battery because yes. <laughs> we get a lot of them at, at restart parties where really? they're, are, they're not user replaceable batteries, they're disposable items so wow that's amazing to think that a toothbrush um, replaces a bee in that situation Um, have you been able to bring uh well what are you working on would you are you trying to bring so currently trying to work with businesses to bring more growing into businesses and tell us a bit about what that might look like yeah we are interested in
1: working with um, offices schools museums like any kind of indoor spaces um, but also outdoors, and we are interested in yeah bringing those eco structures in in relation to like the different usage that they'll be needed for, for in different situations to also like create awareness, more awareness, and start to get people to change a bit their view on nature and also like just simply also to think that it's not that far away from oneself. Mm-hmm. It's really there. It's you are part of it. And it's not that hard to change your habits.
0: Yeah. I, I'll never forget when you guys brought around uh, I I was, you know, a clickety clack on the laptop and you guys came around with some sprouts that you'd just grown, yeah, and, I'd and grown in. And how many in in ten days or something in yep. the studio. And it was like the, and I remember making dinner that night and thinking these sprouts were grown in the office. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of mind-blowing. So it was really, I hope you're able to bring it into more more spaces. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and we probably won't have time to discuss it, but something everyone was talking about this week was something basically diametrically opposed to that, which is the um, the... The venture capital funded juice machine, Juicero, that um, I think I believe the the sticker price was $500 for a juice machine, essentially like an an espresso for juice, except for um, with an espresso, you actually need to heat the water, whereas the Juicero was just squeezing a packet of, of vegetables. I don't know how the, where they're from. Um, and it turned out, of course, that uh, videos circulated on the Internet that you could actually just squeeze the packet yourself. You didn't need the $500 machine. Um, so anyway, uh, if you want the opposite of the Juicero experience, I suggest you uh, talk to uh, Lou and Ed from Frisch. Um, you've been listening to Restart Radio here on Residence 104.4 FM. Uh, we don't have any upcoming Restart Parties in the next week, but check in on our website, therestartproject.org, for upcoming events. We've got quite a few in May. And uh, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook, The Re- uh, Restart Project. And uh, a final thanks to uh, Josh for our new uh Appeal to sign the restart code that we played, and Opto Noise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discard electronics. Until next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.